This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to episode four, Four People with Bishop Wright. I'm your host, Matthew Bowers. And today we're diving into Bishop Wright's Easter message from this past Sunday. Just a reminder before we get started, this podcast serves as a conversation between four people, this podcast, and Four Faith, which is Bishop Wright's weekly devotional that's sent out every Friday. We're going to talk more about the Easter sermon because, Bishop, I think there's a lot to unpack with that and a lot of stuff I want to ask. But if you haven't watched that yet, you can go on social media. It's there on Facebook. It's there on Instagram. Watch that. Come back to this so that you know what we're talking about. First off, Bishop, you talked a lot about the similarities between that first Easter and this one. And the more I thought about it and the more I kind of let those words bounce around my head, I I think it's true. Um, Right now, we're living in a time where we're in this middle zone of, of questioning, of fear. When is this going to go back to normal? Our world as we know it has kind of crumbled and collapsed into this new thing that we don't really have a lot of control over. And I see that a lot with the disciples and the followers of Jesus and those who followed him. Um, both to Jerusalem and and to the cross. And I, I just wonder if you can talk more about those similarities in, in what you see back then and what you see in the world today. Absolutely. Uh, in some ways, and uh, you want to say this with great sensitivity, and, but in some ways, uh, living with COVID-19 has transported us back 2,000 years ago uh, into the insert- uncertainty of that first Easter. I mean, you and I now are the beneficiaries of knowing Easter for 2,000 years, but in that first Easter, they weren't certain. I mean, when Good Friday, that first Good Friday happened, it looked like everything was over and done. I know some people uh, questioned their faith. Other people immediately fled uh, for self-preservation. They wondered if the whole enterprise hadn't been a fool's errand. Uh, And so uh, here we are now, shut up for fear, uh, and uh, we have no sense of what the new norm will be. We know that things are going to be different. Everything is be, everything is on the table right now. Uh, everything we're calling into question. Uh, and so how do we have faith now? I mean, the, the good news is, is that we have the benefit of being on this side of that first Easter. We have a template. We have a blueprint. Uh, this hope in the face of world wars and other uh, catastrophes of one sort or the other has been tested. Our hope has been tested. And so uh, we move from the horror of Good Friday and the, the shock of this pandemic into uh, a holy Saturday, whereas we're not sure that how anything is going to shake out. Um, we know we have each other. Uh, we believe that God is still God. And then uh, we wait and we work and we watch. And then uh, all of a sudden comes this Sunday, this resurrection moment. And there are lots of little resurrection moments happening for us now. We see this in people uh, across the, the the world, really, who are putting faith into action, imagination into action, care and concern into action. And so this is the best part about the Bible, I think, is if we bring some imagination, we find out that these men and women are not spiritual athletes, elite spiritual athletes, but they are like us. They struggle like us. They fear like us. They wonder like us. They doubt like us. And so with just a little bit of imagination and, and sort of a not even a careful read, but a good read, you realize that we are in those times now. And so uh, I'm encouraged by knowing that. I feel like we are, we are being companioned uh, by those men and women and by the, the Holy Spirit. I feel like we are not forsaken. Um, uh, and I feel, I feel like we've been given an assurance that we don't have to despair in response to these present times. Thinking about the, the women who went out 
that first Easter morning to, to find, to look for Jesus in the tomb and, and to see him resurrected. And then thinking about the, the disciples who, for their own safety, you know, stayed locked up. I, I think we're at a point in society now where we're trying to figure out which one to be. Is there a balance between the two? Are we called to be the ones who, who are the first out proclaiming the message, you know, proselytizing and, and all that stuff and, and telling people about Jesus and not being afraid? And, and how do we balance that with being respectful of the issue and staying in the way of life we're currently in? It's a great question. So I, I guess uh, for me, there's a lot of middle ground in between those two options, right? Stay at home and, and perhaps do nothing or just sort of hunker down or sort of uh, brave the outside and, and get out there and get after it. I, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities to care for one another, care for neighbor that are in the middle. Uh, I, I think we, what we've got to do is figure out how we can support those brave men and women who are essential workers, uh, who are out there with our prayers, perhaps with our finances, um, in, in large and small ways. Who are, the, who are the essential workers in your neighborhood, close to you? And how can you support them with words of kindness or groceries on their doorstep or, or something by, while maintaining you know, these necessary health precautions? How do we do that? And so I think right now we need to do two things. Number one, we need to think about what is my gift? Uh, what what is it that gift that God has endowed you with, and how can you bring imagination to that right now, by you know, and care for other people? That's number one. Number two, I, I think uh, we've got to figure out how to thread the needle between taking up the necessary precautions, staying home for the common good, and at the same time reaching out. Thank God we have technology. I mean, this podcast was started, you know, as you know, us trying to thread that needle. I I believe that God has made me an encourager. I look back over my life and that is who I am. I like to encourage people because I believe in God and I believe in people. And so we started a podcast to allow me to sit in my home and take up the precautions that are necessary while at the same time trying to reach out to, to ears and to hearts and encourage them with the word of God. And so I think we've got to be imaginative. So what's your gift and how can you apply it now while, while maintaining uh, you know, safe distance and those directives, which are going to keep us ultimately all safe and flatten out the curve of this thing? We're going to get into the four faith questions, but first let's take a small break and we'll be right back with you. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And I think it's all about our response to the issue. We can't go back and change what has happened, um, but we can have some say in what the next steps are going to look like. And you talked a little bit about people's response to Jesus and the resurrection. You said some responded with no way. Some responded with let's go and see. And others said, I knew he would. He said he would. And what I want to talk to you about with that is in a, in our faith tradition, and even just in the world, in a, in a culture where if I have a question, I can type it into Google, and it's going to give me 80,000 people's opinion on a Bible verse. How do you keep a certain level of, of certainty in God and the belief in God and the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus, and especially in this time, the resurrection of Jesus? And like you put it, that defined Easter trust. But how do you keep that that questioning, that holy questioning 
but also balance that with a belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I mean, people have written PhD dissertations on that one. So uh, <laughs> let, let me see if we can do that in just a couple of minutes. Well, number one, I, I think that, as I said in the sermon, God doesn't even dress God's self up in certainty. I mean, if you read the Bible, 66 books of the Bible tell us that God prefers uh, belief and trust, right? So the Bible even says that you cannot please God without faith, right? So so certainty is sort of, is not is not a part of our vocabulary. What's part of our vocabulary is what the Bible says, is that the trust in God's saving arm, who God has been. Uh, you know, there's an old spiritual that says, if God delivered Daniel, then why not every person? In other words, uh, we go back to those stories. And so if we want to nurture ourselves right now, nurture faith in ourselves, we go back to the stories of men and women who have trusted God with their life, with their infertility, with their finances, with their marriages, with their enterprise, with their businesses. And we take lessons from there. We are inspired there. Um, and so when we begin to talk about certainty, we begin to, to use a different lexicon than the lexicon of faith. Now, that, that uh, feels like to some people like we're sort of avoiding a question, but I, I always say that, that uh, this is the way that God has preferred to be known. And so when we're talking about certainty, we're not talking about the way that God prefers to be known. Somehow God wants to pull something out of the human soul and spirit, and it can only be pulled out of the human soul and spirit through uh, the mechanism of faith and trust. And so, you know, from our most mature believers to our sort of baby believers, brand new believers— the tension never goes away, right? The gray area never ceases. I mean, if you look to the great uh, men and women we call saints who believed in God and trust in God through, you know, real life hills and valleys, you know, the edge never comes off. Even Jesus on the cross cried out for certainty and got no certainty. The message was only to have faith. And so this is just who God is. And so uh, this is the way God chooses to be God and reveal God's self to us. And so we nurture ourselves in the story of men and women long ago, but we also nurture ourselves in stories of faith that are happening right before our eyes. So while some wanted to run to the tomb and look for empirical evidence, others believed on what he said and said, yeah, this seems consistent in the ways that he said he would be present to us even going forward. So we look for that now. Where is the Easter standing in our midst? This is a hard question. But I believe a very important question. Where is the Easter standing right in front of us? In one of the Gospels, uh, Jesus is resurrected and he is mistaken standing there at the tomb for a gardener. I mean, uh, this woman uh, didn't even recognize the Easter standing, uh, you know, defiantly in front of uh, in front of her. And I think this happens a lot to us. And so I'm so glad that I'm nurtured in stories of men and women who've lived life with God and still point to God. And what I notice is, is that in their pointing to God, they don't have, you know, lots of long six-syllable words or, you know, immense vocabularies about all of this. Uh, they talk in terms of trust. They talk in terms of faith. They talk in terms of believing. They realize that, you know, this is the way, this is the way God chooses to be known to us, is through faith and trust. And so this is the way it is. And yet they seem so satisfied. Yet there is, seems to be joy present when they talk about it. And what I like about this piece is, is because it's a, it has a maturing effect on the spirit. Uh, I think that this is one of the things that concerns me now about modern society. We don't have a great capacity for silence. And so one of the things that life with God teaches us is to increase our capacity with silence. In fact, I would say that God's first language is silence. And so this is, a, this is an invitation uh, to filling out what it means to be a human being, to have increased capacity uh, for silence. And in silence, we begin to speak God's first language. 
This sounds like uh, silliness to some, but for the men and the women who have walked uh, miles with God and who have written down their journeys, this always is a reoccurring theme, that, that they had tried to force God to speak their language, but then when they decided to speak God's language, life unfolded for them, uh, faith unfolded for them, uh, a, a sense of centeredness unfolded for them. This is what we see in Jesus's life, and this is what we see, I think, in the life of people who are, are choosing to live the resurrected life. It makes me think of, uh, I think it's Prophet Elisha, who goes up on the mountain and is, is, has had it with society. It's just what he feels he got into has not transpired. And, and there's a, a huge windstorm. God's not in the windstorm. There's a huge earthquake. There's a huge uh, pillar of fire. God's not there. But where God was is, is the silence. And I wonder how we find that in today's world. So uh, when we talk about spirituality, what we're really talking about uh, are practices, are, are ways of living. And, and I think um, life nowadays, modern life is more difficult to find these spaces and places, but I think they nevertheless can be found. I've, I've recommended to people over the years all kinds of things like uh, just using your in-the-car time. I mean, this made a lot more sense before we were all sheltering at home, but to use your in-the-car time for silence, uh, turning off the radio, turning off the, the, the phone. We're not supposed to be on the phone anyway. And, and just offering a simple invitation to God. Here I am, Lord, your servant is, is listening. I, I think many of us are walking now, and we've rediscovered walking. Uh, I think that the, the quietness of that, I think nature, I mean, God is in the silence, but God is in the azalea. God is in the dogwood. God is in the scurrying chipmunk. God is in the hawk I saw flying over my neighborhood looking for his next meal. I mean, I, I think that when we ask God for eyes to see, I think what we are we are bombarded uh, by images uh, that really uh, are not necessarily, uh, they don't have a sound component, but they are nevertheless representatives of this sort of robust way that God is present uh, to all of us. And I think you've got to nurture yourself in that and on that. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, trying to ask people to be disciplined uh, with, uh, with screens, I think is really important. Thank God for the screens, but I think at the same time, too much of anything is, is not a good thing. And so we've got to figure out, we've got to figure out that. Uh, perhaps it's a quiet prayer in the morning. Perhaps it's just a, a couple of deep breaths in the best of the meditation sort of uh, way to live. Perhaps it's centering prayer for others who want to sit still for a prolonged period of time. For, for some of the rest of us, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's with my hobby, with old, old rusty cars in the garage with nothing on, no radio, no nothing, and having a, a chance to hear yourself think. But, but it's in that quiet you begin to hear what Howard Thurman called the sound of the genuine, my own personal genuine voice. And then you begin to hear the whisper of God. And when you begin to hear that, you realize that God is, 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 uh, is not scarce, that there's no famine uh, of the word of God in the land, that God is actually quite loquacious. God is always speaking. God is everywhere. And when you come to that, uh, you realize that you you really uh, have a confidence and a peace that the world can't give you. And this is this is the thing I want for people. Many people are finding this in nature and at the shore and at the lake and at the forest. And we've got to call people back to that. And I think maybe COVID-19 in a weird way is helping some of us rediscover that. I want to go back to one of the things you talked about, uh, God refuses to adorn God's self with certainty. My initial question is, is well, then what does God adorn God's self with? And, and it seems such 
like a, a weird statement to make that a certain thing, or as we trust a thing, does not adorn itself with 100% proof. I think that's a, a space that we as Christians live in, is changing that certainty to define Easter trust, as you put it. What does God then value and what does God adorn God's self with? You talked a little bit about silence. What else is there? Yeah, so when I say, um, you know, uh, Easter is, is God's truth unadorned, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, is that, it, you know, uh, God is simple and God is plain and God is true. I, I'm trying to say what the Bible says in, in thousands of ways. I mean, Jesus, perhaps the best poet of all of this, Jesus said that, you know, uh, faith is like a seed. And, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet table with all kinds of friends at the table and even non-friends. Um, and that, uh, and that um, uh, God is like a, a, a son uh, who runs away and then is welcomed with, with open arms. What I'm trying to say is, is that, that God is in sort of the simple. Uh, and I, I, I worry sometimes that we in the religious community, we sort of overdress, we gild the lily. And sometimes we make it really obscure for people where Jesus comes and he just sort of, he burns it all away and says, this is what God is like. God is like a man struggling on the cross um, who's, who's groping for assurance. Um, God is like a man who takes a principled stand, a woman who takes a principled stand and goes and does the hard thing and takes the hard conversation and takes the principled road. Um, so I think God seems to dress God's self up in authenticity. God seems to dress God's self up in being vulnerable. When I think about all the prophets, God seems to dress God's self up into to this radical notion of family and of neighbor. Uh, God seems to uh, dress God's self up into being able to value uh, the young, the sick, the aged, the ones who have fallen short again and again and again. Uh, God seems to be really clear about God's disdain for the arrogant, the haughty, uh, those who uh, who default to exclusion and separation. And so as we live with God and as the scriptures unfold, we begin to get a character sketch of who God is. And, and this is exciting for me. And I think this is why Jesus had such a following uh, crowds and John the Baptist, the crowds, and even the, the clergy, you know, worried with John the Baptist and with Jesus. Boy, all the world seems to be going out after them. People are hungering for authenticity, and there's an authenticity when we live with God. Um, you know, it's amazing to me when Jesus is resurrected, the first thing that Jesus shows people is the wounds. You know, he doesn't sort of, you know, begin to posture strength, and he doesn't posture almightiness. He postured, I'm the punctured one. You know, I'm the one who struggled. I'm the one who was betrayed. And somehow that becomes the floor, the good floor at the strong foundation for the community, the guy who ends up being his chief representative. Uh, you know, Peter is the guy who denies him, uh, is the guy uh, who hides in shame. And so I, I think this is what I mean. God does not dress God's self up in uh, strength as the way, the way the world defines strength, but God defines God's self in these other things that are, that are down to earth. Uh, remember what Jesus taught that you and I are to be salt and light, salt and light. I mean, ba basic elements. Uh, and so it worries me sometimes when we get off into sort of what I call the ethereal, mystical, magical, um, we, we end up leaving lots of people behind. That was not Jesus's preaching ministry. It was to connect with people and to let people know that God is for everybody. 
Uh, and so I talked about Easter unadorned, a simple and plain truth available to everyone, a trust that you and I can have in God, the same God who cares for king and prostitute alike. What scripture are you holding on to right now? What scripture is you know, running around your brain as, as we go through this week? Just what is what from the Bible is speaking to you this week? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, Second Corinthians, uh, uh, the whole cha- the whole fourth chapter, but particularly verses eight and nine. I think Paul helps us even in our pandemic right now with some very helpful distinctions. Right. So Paul says this: We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I think the blessing is in the distinction. We are, in fact, afflicted nowadays in our land and all over the world, but we are not crushed. So, Matthew, thanks again for this opportunity to just talk about for faith with people. And uh, I just want to remind everyone out there, take care of yourself, take care of one another, be encouraged, wash your hands. God is still God. That's all the time we have for this episode, but we'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode and what you heard, connect with us by following Bishop Wright on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can keep up whenever we post new episodes. You'll hear more from us next week.